So I want to ask you guys this question. Um, do you know what a happyologist is? Happyologist. Um, you've probably never heard of this term before. Um, I haven't until I read this article, but a happyologist is a happiness coach, right? Maybe some of you can really go for a happiness coach right now. But um, so there's this person by the name of Susanna Newsonen. I don't know if I pronounced that last name right, but she is a happyologist, right? And as a happyologist, um, as a happiness coach, an expert of how it is to be happy, uh, she wrote this article for um, Psychology Today. Okay, and this article, the thesis, the main point of this article is this. Chasing happiness itself will make you unhappy. Interesting, right? Chasing happiness itself will make you unhappy. So I thought of that, and I was like, oh, this seems very promising, right? Maybe she's a believer. So I looked at the article, I read it, and I was disappointed, and this is why. Um, so she pretty much answers this question, how do we find happiness, right? If chasing happiness itself won't lead us to happiness, how do we find happiness? This is her finding. This is what she writes. You might be happiest as a director in a big corporation, or you might be happiest as a one-woman or man-show entrepreneur, or you might be happiest as a stay-at-home parent. There is no right or wrong because only you know what is right for you. When in doubt, just ask yourself these two questions. Question number one, what gives you hedonic happiness, right? Um, or hedonism, right? The momentary joy, pleasure, and contentment in your life. That's the first question. Number two, ask yourself this. What gives you eudaimonic happiness, right? A sense of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment that makes you whole. She says, as long as you have a good balance of these two in your life, happiness will be there, right? And she goes on. Moving forward, strive to eliminate these myths. She talked about a bunch of myths about happiness in her article. From your thinking and replace them with these truths, right? The two questions. They will help you to take a breath and to slow down and to naturally welcome a balanced, fulfilling type of happiness in your, into your life. And this is like the cheesiest ending, right? As the poet Hafiz says, ever since happiness heard your name, it has been running through the streets trying to find you. What a lame article, right? I'm such a hater. If you guys are interested, please sign up for free happiness tips like this at happyologist.co.uk. For daily doses of inspiration, follow, right? There's her plug. And she says this, if you want to dive deeper, if you're serious about this pursuit of happiness, sign up for a 30-day of happiness online course here. $50, right? This is how the world defines happiness. Um, her main thing is this. Look, balancing pleasure, right? Balancing pleasure, balancing, like, eudaimonic, what she means by that is, like, big picture happiness, knowing who you are, knowing your identity, knowing your calling and your purpose in life. When you balance these two things, you will be happy, right? And, you know, like, this is so, like, telling of our culture. She says, you determine your happiness, right? You know yourself, so you do you. You do what's best for you, right? Now, if this is the truth, church, we will never be happy. Uh, we will never be content. And the reason why I want to bring this article up to you is um, to contrast what the Bible says in regards to happiness, right? Um, today, we're going to be talking about what Scripture 
teaches about happiness, we're going to see how, as Christians, you and I today, uh, we can be happy and content in any circumstances, right? And you will be the judge to decide which route you want to take in happiness. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's turn them to the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 4 through 13. Um, this passage is well known. Um, a lot of people have it tattooed on their chest or their arms. Um, a lot of athletes, they use this um, in the wrong way. But we're going to be re- reading through this, okay? Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And as a result, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, the Apostle Paul, practice these things, and as a result, the God of peace will be with you. And he finishes like this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secrets of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? And I can imagine Steph Curry being like, amen. Right? So, Paul is, so in this passage that we just read, well-known passage. You guys, if you've been church, you've heard it many times. Paul is closing out his letter to the church in Philippi. And in typical Paul fashion, what he wants to do is leave his readers with some final instructions and encouragement. If I can summarize this passage that we just read, Paul is talking about peace and contentment, right? This is the subject of today's passage. And Paul actually talks about being content and having the peace of God as two similar things. What Paul is essentially saying is this. Contentment, right? This idea of being content is learned. You have to learn it. You have to apply it. You have to practice it. It's not innate, right? It's just like we have to study and practice to learn an instrument. Right? If you want to pick a piano, what do you have to do? You learn theory, you learn technique, and you have to practice a couple hours a day. Just as we pick up an instrument, we learn it, we practice it, it's the same thing when it comes to contentment. We have to study and we have to practice contentment. It takes discipline, it takes repetition, it takes time. Right? It's not like you know, being blessed with fanatical athleticism right? um, from your genes. You have to learn this. This is trained. Contentment is learned. And what Paul is going to do, he's going to break that down for us. How do we learn contentment? Paul's giving us a manual 
on contentment, instructions on how to pursue this contentment. Paul calls his audience here, right, to change their perspectives. Notice that Paul doesn't say, if you want to be content, seek stability, right? Make sure in your life, in your jobs, in your education, whatever you're pursuing in life, there's a sense of stability. No, he doesn't say that. Notice that Paul also doesn't say, seek security. Make sure you have enough money on your savings account, right? Make sure, like, you have enough for you to survive, Paul doesn't say seek pleasure, right? Just live for your own, like, pleasure and your own joy. But rather, he says this. The only thing that will bring peace and contentment is a change in mindset. So contentment doesn't come from all these different activities of doing. It comes from a change in mindset. And let me tell you, uh, this change in mindset, it doesn't happen overnight, right? Um, We fight for this mindset every single morning. So then... How do we change our perspective, right? If contentment is a discipline that we learn that involves changing our perspective, what we're going to answer today um, in this passage is this. um, How do we change our perspective? What are specific things we can do to do that? What are the specific ways we can learn the secret that Paul calls talking about being content? How can we practice to have the peace of God in our minds and our hearts? So, Here's what we're going to be doing. Paul wants us to practice three disciplines, okay? Three disciplines. The first discipline is this, the discipline of reflection. That's our first point, right? This is the first discipline to partake in. You know, if we look at verse 8, Paul says this, um, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what's the next verb? It's think, Think about these things, right? What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, think about how the Bible defines truth. Think about how the Bible defines honor, justice, purity. So Paul's saying this, like when when you feel unstable, when you're discouraged, when you're afraid, Paul is saying, think. Now, can you imagine Paul as a therapist, right? You're sitting on the chair, right? He's listening to all your problems, right? And you're like, my life is terrible. And Paul says, you know what you have to do? You have to think, right? Terrible (laughs) therapist, right? Um, He says to think. But it's not just to think, though. He's saying, think about the basic truths of the Christian faith. Now, if you look at secular books on how to deal with anxiety, right, how to deal with fear, they don't say think. Do you know what they say? They say to focus more on techniques, For instance, if you want to fight your fear, to fight your anxiety, to fight your discouragement, here's some tips to help you. Number one, control your negative thoughts. Go to your happy place. What is that, right? Um, Make changes in your life. Um, Quit your job. Break up with your significant other. um, Move to a different city. You know, change in scenery. Or, you know, exercise regularly. Do breathing exercises, right? Uh, Pamper yourself, right? This is my favorite. Treat yourself right? This is, I love this, right? Um, These are the different um, remedies that secular books teach on how to relieve or alleviate um, fear and anxiety. In other words, the world's solution to fear is do, do, do. Take action, right? Keep your mind occupied. Keep doing things. Keep yourself busy. But unfortunately, this is what happens. Not saying like self-care is bad or unbiblical, but this is what happens, if we make this the main thing, this ultimately leads for uh, leads to a form of avoidance, 
And what I mean by that is this. Rather than dealing with the root issue of your fear, we end up distancing ourselves from dealing with it, and we end up being self-absorbed. This is what happens when we do, 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 and if we don't think. The secular books never say, think about the big questions, right? Think about who are you? What are human beings, right? Uh, what is the meaning of life? Where did we come from? Where are we going? No, the secular books never say that. It's do, do, do. And yet, this is what Paul is prescribing. Think about the big picture, right? Paul is saying this. When you're discouraged, when you're afraid, Christianity says think. And it's not just think. Paul's heart in saying think is this. Set your mind on the gospel. Set your mind on the truth that defines Christianity. In other words, if you are in a place of fear and anxiety, reorient yourself to the truth because fear and anxiety leads us to believe a fundamental lie. That is, God doesn't care about me. God is not going to provide for me. Whenever we are afraid, whenever we are discouraged, whenever we feel anxious, we must have the discipline to face and believe in the truth. And that's a, that's a hard practice. It really is. A lot of times, we don't want to confront the truth. Right? If we have health issues, we don't want to comf- confront the facts of it. And what ends up happening is this. Fear will lead us to believe in lies. So Paul is really saying this in verse 8. When he's saying, think of the things, right? To, to even in like Colossians, to set your mind on the things that are above. Paul is saying, the more a Christian thinks, the better he or she feels. Do you see that? The more you think, the more you come back to the truths of the gospel, the more peace you'll have. We have to reflect and remember the core truth of our faith, and it's the gospel message. So what does the gospel message tell us? Let me remind you, church. The gospel message tells us that there is a God who created everything in love, including us as humans, but we turned away, we sinned against him, but he paid the infinite cost by sacrificing his one and only son to bring us back to him and a restored relationship. The gospel tells us that you are valuable, and in the end, everything will be all right. Why? Because God's going to make all things new. God is manly in love with you, and he wants to give you the greatest joy, which is only found in himself. That's the gospel message, and that is the truth that we have to constantly go back to. Right? And Joe said this many times. You know, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single morning. That's the first discipline, the discipline of reflection, the discipline to think and to come back to the big truths of the gospel. Here's the second discipline that Paul talks about. It's the discipline of gratitude. So number one, we have the discipline of reflection to think about the big pictures, right, to preach the gospel to ourselves. Number two, we have the discipline of gratitude. In verse 6, Paul says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Prayer is at the heart and the foundation of this entire letter. Um, Paul starts off this letter by saying, I've been praying for you. Philippians, I've been praying for you. Right? And he's ending this letter by exhorting them to also pray. You see, prayer is so important because prayer is how we engage in God's presence. Right? We talked about God's presence last week. Prayer is the act in itself that brings us peace. But notice that Paul doesn't just say pray, and when God answers your prayers, then thank him. Paul's saying something very interesting. He says, pray, 
as you pray simultaneously, pray in thanksgiving, right? Make your requests known with a grateful heart, right? Not to just say thank you after your prayers, but in this heart and the spirit of gratitude, make your prayer requests be known. Pray to God. The prayer that has the posture of gratitude will lead to peace, right? The prayer that has the posture of gratitude will lead to the guarding of our hearts and minds. Paul's so genius because there is actual research that shows that having an attitude of, oh man, it's going to rhyme gratitude, right? Being thankful, um, being grateful is actually healthy, right? There's scientific research done that shows the health benefits of gratitude. Not only does it promote physical health, right? Because people who are grateful and they're thankful for their lives, not only do they sleep better, right? Not only do they experience less body aches and pain, but being grateful actually promotes mental and emotional health. Um, it reduces depression. It enhances empathy. Uh, it reduces aggression. It improves your self-esteem and mental strength. And, you know, maybe Paul would actually be a great therapist after all, right? Once we start to partake in the discipline of reflection, right, what we just talked about, our first point, studying our minds to the gospel, the Spirit tends us to lead us to gratitude. That's the progression. We, we, we think about the big truths of the gospel. That leads us to appreciate what God has done. Of course, this is hard. This is why this is a discipline. It's hard to be grateful when you are discouraged. Or it's so hard to be grateful when you're anxious or in pain. Um, in a sermon, Tim Keller talked about this one time where he really liked a girl in his mid-20s. Right, early mid-20s. I was listening to this. I was like, oh my gosh, tell me more. I want to know, Tim. What did you do? Give me godly counsel. Right? So they were pretty much in a relationship. Uh, he tried so hard to maintain it because the girl wasn't as interested and was trying so hard to break off the relationship. But she couldn't. Um, so Tim Keller, he tried very hard to maintain this relationship. Do you know what he did? He, he prayed every day and every night that the relationship would work out and that they would end up getting married. Sounds familiar, right? But here's what happened. That relationship failed, and years down the line, he ended up with someone else, someone better. This is what he said. He said, if God had given me what I've asked for, right, for that relationship to be salvaged, for them to work out, it would have been the worst thing because he wouldn't have Kathy, his current wife, who means the absolute world to him. So he asked, right, as he's preaching, he asked this question to the congregation, so did God answer my prayers? You know, when I was praying every day, every night, for us to get married, for this relationship to be prepared, and this is one of those get-wrecked moments where I was so, like, bombed, right? I was like, oh, my gosh, right? He says this, God gave me what I would have asked for if I knew everything he knew. God gave me what I would have asked for if I knew everything he knew. And he confessed this. I didn't make my prayers in Thanksgiving. Right? He didn't pray in Thanksgiving. Instead, I prayed, Lord, you have to get this for me or my life is over. So please make this relationship work out. In retrospect, he realized that this is what he should have prayed instead. He should have prayed this, Lord, I would like this relationship to be salvaged, and yet I thank you for whatever you're going to do because I know I'm asking for something, but if you don't give it to me in silver, which is what I'm asking for, you'll give me the same value in gold. 
you'll give it to me in a different currency or form. And he said, if I were able to just pray that, if I were able to come to God honestly and even just ask for these things in Thanksgiving, he would have had a much better summer, right? He would have had less anxiety. He would have had the ability to even handle the eventual breakup that was to come. And the point is this. In having gratitude and praying to God, to our Father, who wants to provide good things to us, um, we need to ask in, in, in gratitude. We need to ask with a spirit of thanksgiving. Our prayers must be marinated in gratitude, and that's really the key ingredient that brings us peace. All right. So the first discipline is um, to pr- um, is a discipline of reflection, right? To set our minds on the truths of the gospel, to think. The second discipline is a discipline of gratitude, being thankful, and even asking, right? Praying in the spirit of thanksgiving, and. Here's the last discipline. It's a discipline of joy. So we have gratitude, thinking. Or, or no, sorry. We have reflection, thinking. We have gratitude, thinking. And we have joy. Joy always has a source, right? There is something that causes you to be joyful. And Paul, he gives us absolute clarity on what his source of joy is. Guess what it is? It's, it's Jesus, In chapter 3, Paul says he considers his experience, his accomplishments, his title, his skills, his giftings, everything, his entire resume, trash, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Which is why he tells us in verse 4, rejoice in who? The Lord always. And in verse 10, Paul says, even I, the Apostle Paul, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Having joy in Christ is a discipline we must constantly practice because the nature of our human hearts is this. We're going to try to find joy elsewhere, right? We're going to try to find joy in our relationships, in our marriage, in our children, in our future, in our finances, in our security. But to practice joy means to practice joy in Christ, knowing that Christ has the surpassing worth and value. And because we have something that is of immense value, we can have joy. So what helps us to have joy in Christ? Uh, what is something practical? And, you know, one thing that helps me is this, is to reflect on this question. What has God done for me? And, you know, I want to encourage you guys, in, in your time of prayer and devotional, like, consider what God has done for you, right? Look into the past and see how God has worked miraculously in your life. When I do this, right, um, I'm reminded of very, very specific times where I forgot when God came through me Physically, he, he came for me, right? Uh, he came through for me, I mean. He, he came through for me physically. He came through for me emotionally. He came through for me spiritually. Um, exactly what I needed, God has provided. Um, when I think back on what God has done for me, I'm, I'm reminded of the grace that I so often take for granted. That Jesus' sacrifice was indeed costly, and for God to send his son to do that, it shows really the magnitude of his love. Right, I'm reminded of how much God loves me. And looking at the evidence right, of how God has worked miraculously in our lives, what happens is this. Our joy deepens in him. Of course, there will be many moments right, where we don't feel this joy. But the more we make the effort to reflect on his faithfulness, we reflect on the truth of the gospel, the more we have this heart of gratitude and we pray in thanksgiving, 
the easier it is to access that joy. Do you see the progression? The first thing is reflection, which leads us to gratitude, which leads us to joy. We have to do these things so that our joy will be full in him. Right? Joy is a discipline, and we must practice it. Um, in closing, I want to be like Paul. You know, I'm sure we all want to be like Paul. We all want to be, be able to proudly say, I have learned the secret in being content, right? Whether high or low, plenty or need, right? We learn the secret to be content. And when we look at Paul's life, it's kind of crazy. You know, Paul was shipwrecked. He was tortured. He was jailed. He was under house arrest when he wrote this letter. Um, he was whipped 39 times, right? He was backstabbed. He was betrayed. He was slandered. And even through all of that, Paul still had the ability to say, hey, church in Philippi, I am so thankful for your financial help. Because the church in Philippi, they were the ones who supported Paul in his missionary journey. A lot of churches said, we'll support you, we'll support you. But they didn't. But the church in Philippi, they were the ones who actually supported Paul. And so Paul says this. Very, very interesting. He says, look, church, thank you for your financial support, but I don't need your help. Imagine you supported someone for missions, right? I'm going to give you $500, right? And the person says, oh, thank you so much, but I don't need your help. I'd be like, Fool, are you serious? Right? Just give me the $500 back then, right? But this is so interesting because what Paul says is this. I don't want you to think that I need your money. Why? Because I am content with or without your support. Not to minimize, right, their financial support, not to minimize their giving, right? Paul, of course, affirms the fact, and he, you know, he thanks them in his, in his prayers in chapter one. Um, Paul is saying that, look, your financial support is great. It glorifies God. It advances the kingdom. But I have to be clear to you guys that it doesn't mean everything to me. I don't need your money because the peace of God has given me what money can never give me. And thus Paul says, I know what it's like to be brought low. I know what it's like to abound. I know what it's like to eat the best steaks. I know what it's like to live off of food stamps. In plenty or in hunger, in abundance or in need, I can do all things through, whom, through, through him who strengthens me. Right? This is the most misinterpreted scripture of all, like the Bible. What Paul is saying is this. In any circumstance, I can be content because Christ strengthens me. That's what Philippians 4.13 means. Not I can make this three-pointer and win a championship, right? Not I can, like, like, beat someone up or whatever or achieve financial success. This verse means because of Jesus, I can be content in any circumstance. Because Jesus offers me the strength and the composure and the peace to thrive in my lowness and even when things are great. And church, I'll be the first one to be honest, this is hard for me. This is absolutely hard for me, right? Um, and I'm still learning. And, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of times in life there's going to be places where we're like, content? Nah. No, I am not content, right? Um, this time is terrible, right? There's nothing good about this time. And there's many moments recently, especially, where I'm just like, it's hard for me to be content, right? There's a lot of times where I feel life is unfair. Um, I didn't deserve this, 
you know, this pain or, uh, you know, the circumstance I'm going through. But I think what God is telling me in my discontentment is to not give up. And what I mean by that is um, not to be, not to sound like a cheesy life coach, but um, the one thing that is so important to the Christian life, even in our lowest point, is the idea of discipline. And brothers and sisters, maybe things are tough. Maybe you're not content. Maybe you're looking for something more. More fill in the blank. But what God is teaching us with his word is if we engage in the discipline of reflecting on his glorious and his beautiful truth, the gospel, as we engage in the discipline of being thankful and and having gratitude for all the things that he's done in our lives, as we actively partake in the discipline to, to find joy and the unsurpassing worth of Jesus, that will lead us to be more content. And this doesn't mean that in our Christianity, we finally level up to level 99 and we have this special ability, contentment, right? And we're good for the rest of our lives. This is a battle that we fight for every single morning. And as a pastor, it is hard. So I don't want to minimize that. But again, even though it's hard, even though there are times where I personally want to give up, the spirit is still working inside of us. And if we look deep down inside Um, If we are a Christian, if we are saved by grace through faith, we see the evidence of God working in us that is leading us, that is spurring us on to not give up and to pursue these disciplines. That is discipline, right? Discipline is not easy. Discipline is not fun. But these are the things that we do to grow in our Christ-likeness. Christianity is about learning. We live, we mess up, we make mistakes, we learn, and we adjust. And as a church, let us continue to be students and learners of the word. And as we practice the discipline of reflection, as we think, as we set our minds to the things that are above, um, as we practice the discipline of gratitude, as we practice the discipline of joy, may the peace of God be with us in every season. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that It's hard to be content. Um, It's hard to even say thank you for our lives. Thank you for this lot. Thank you for this season. But God, what we want to do as a church is fight for the truth and knowing that according to the gospel message, that God, you have loved us, that you have redeemed us, and you have made us your own. What I want to do, God, is pray for all of us here in this room. And I think especially in this culture of consumerism, we're going to be struggling with contentment. There's always going to be this drive to want more, to have more, to accumulate more, and we'll never be satisfied. But I pray that we would fight what the world teaches. I pray that we would fight this culture. And whether if we are to abound or to be brought down very low, According to the power of your spirit, teach us to be content. Allow us to live in the reality of what it means to be content. And knowing that in Christ Jesus, through the person who strengthens us, we can thrive in any season. 
bless our church, and I pray that um, you would provide your spirit to um, help us in our discipline, help us in our learning, help us in our training as we become better followers of you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.